And then this evening we will return to the book of Daniel and continue on uh, with Daniel. And we left off at uh, somewhat of a, a weird place. Uh, we'll have to go back and pick up the story so that we keep our flow going here. Uh, because otherwise uh, we'll be in Daniel chapter 4 uh, and we'll read verses 28 through 37 uh, and then you'll notice that first line in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar and then we have to ask, well, what came upon Nebuchadnezzar? So we'll backtrack a little bit and then catch up and, and actually he tells us what comes upon Nebuchadnezzar but uh, if I backtrack in Daniel chapter 4 uh, to say verse 22, um, the king Nebuchadnezzar's had this vision and, and, uh, and, and things are, are happening and Daniel basically tells him, uh, king, you've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. Uh, and because this king saw a watcher in this vision, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, uh, but leave the stump uh, with its, and then talks about this band of iron and bronze. And, and also then as part of that, uh, a little bit later on, it mentions uh, that let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. Uh, and so it's this, this vision uh, that he's had, and Daniel has told him, uh, basically, uh, you're going to live like a wild animal. Um, you're this kingdom uh, that needs to be chopped down, if you will. And so as we go into this story, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has been told uh, these things. He's had this vision and Daniel has told him these things that would happen unless uh, he does say this right at the end in verse 27, uh, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. There was this, this caveat out there, uh, but if you repent, maybe things will be different. Uh, but we will find uh, that he doesn't repent. And so we'll pick up the story then. It's Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field." And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will 
Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we look at these words you have given us, that you will speak to our hearts and that we will grow in your truth, and grow in your grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they say that time heals all wounds and bad haircuts. And I know what they say or what they mean when they say that, although I'm still trying to recover from a bad haircut, but that's another story. But that idea can be abused. You know, we do know, especially if you think of a high school or something, your first crush, and then she broke your heart, or he broke your heart, and time healed the wound. You got over it and found you were better off. But sometimes we abuse that. We think, you know what? If I just give this enough time, people are going to forget about it, and, and I don't, I'll never have to confess to it. I'll just try to skate by, and, and it doesn't do any good. It's just a way to suppress your conscience. And it seems that's what Nebuchadnezzar has been doing because he's been given some time. He had this vision and told that he needed to repent or things were going to happen. And he had time. He had 12 months. He had a full year to repent. He had a full year to reprioritize or or reevaluate. But during this year, it seems like he's either forgotten or has been able to rationalize his boastfulness, his setting himself up as his God. 
he shouldn't need more signs. He's seen several things. He's seen Daniel and his friends grow when they weren't eating the king's food, but relying on what God was providing for them and, and how they, they were better than the rest and healthier. They've seen, or he's seen uh, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace and how that turned out. But he seems to have forgotten again that God is the almighty God. And he's really wasted this time that he's had to repent. Romans 2, uh, Paul writes, starting in verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, Peter writes much the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he talks about uh, people mocking, saying, when is he coming? When is Jesus coming again? Everything's going along just as it should. And Peter says, it's not that he's forgotten. It's not that he's delaying. It's just that he's patient that people should reach repentance. Nebuchadnezzar's had this time. No repentance has come. There was a certain amount of concern when Nebuchadnezzar first had this vision. Daniel actually showed more concern than Nebuchadnezzar, but there was a certain amount of concern on his part. But you can just imagine that as the days went on, as the days of mercy and grace kept going, repentance kept getting further and further away from Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Little less concern about what was going on. There was an 18th century Welsh evangelist. His name is John Elias and uh, he would use this illustration. Uh, he said there was a, a blacksmith uh, in his town, and, and this blacksmith uh, got a new dog. And Elias went and visited the, the shop just shortly after this blacksmith had the new dog. And, and as the blacksmith is, is beating the metal on the anvil and, and forming this horseshoe, the dog is barking ferociously and keeps barking, barking, and uh, is going wild. Well, as time progressed, Elias would come back every now and then, and the dog was barking less and less, until finally one day, Elias showed up, and the blacksmith is hammering away at the anvil, and the dog is asleep by a fire. The constant noise had just finally become nothing to the dog, and he could just sleep right through it. And Nebuchadnezzar, it seems, has grown similarly accustomed to this hammering of God's word, if I can put it that way, and has been able now to ignore it to the point where it really has no impact on his life anymore. And he's back with his prideful ways. And he's saying, isn't this kingdom great? Look at Babylon. 
which I have built for my mighty power, by my mighty power, as a royal residence for my glory, my majesty. Now here's the kicker in all of this. He's not lying. Uh, historical evidence suggests that his claims are actually justified. He had restored over a dozen temples and, and made them beautiful, or his workers made them beautiful. He had completed the great wall of Babylon that got started many years earlier, and, and he completed it. Uh, he, he also built a new palace that was attached to the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, which was famous, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and that was all connected. So from one point of view, you could say Nebuchadnezzar is merely cataloging everything he's done, and he's done some good things. It's beautiful. Uh, Walt Whitman is credited with saying, if you've done it, it ain't bragging. And Nebuchadnezzar can say, well, I done it. But it's bragging. Because what is his sin? The sin isn't in achieving great things. The sin is in how he views it. I have built my mighty power, my majesty. Those are his words. And that's his attitude. And at the risk of being redundant because he's gone through this before, we're, we're right back to where we've been with Nebuchadnezzar. And he said some good things about God. At the end of, of chapter 2, he gave praise to God. At the beginning of chapter 4, you'll see that he gives praise to God. He has ample proof that Daniel's God is the true God. But one thing about him is he's never really given up on his polytheism. In fact, when he first had this vision, uh, when you go back to verse 18 in chapter 4, uh, he talks about that he brought in his wise men from his kingdom before he brought in Daniel. But they couldn't help him. They, they couldn't understand or make him understand what it was. Uh, but then he says, but you are able, as he speaks to Daniel, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He's never really given up on his polytheism. And here's the thing about that polytheism. It allows Nebuchadnezzar to be his own God. Because if Nebuchadnezzar can pick and choose what gods he's going to listen to, ultimately, that makes him God. That puts him in charge. And I say this in the midst of a world that probably spurred by technology and, and sinfulness and, and a few other things, but you've heard this idea before that's, that's out there a lot that encourages you to choose your own God or at least choose your version of God. And the subtlety, the subtle lie in that line is that what you're really doing is elevating yourself because you're deciding now what you're going to listen to. And you're putting yourself in God's position. And when you do that, it's a little easier to ignore your conscience 
And I think that's the road that Nebuchadnezzar has traveled here. By not giving up his polytheism, in his mind, he's thinking, because I have other guys to choose from. And the other wise men said nothing about repenting. He's still elevating himself, still hanging on to those things that will put him on top. And while these words boasting about himself and his kingdom and his might and his majesty, while those words in verse 31 are still in the king's mouth, then this voice comes from heaven. And get the significance of that. The words are still in his mouth. Here's the most powerful human being on the face of the planet at that time. And he is at the very height of his power. And everything around him is beautiful. And yes, he's done a lot of things. And then the voice speaks. Immediately, things start to happen. He doesn't need to be weakened. This year of grace and mercy, probably going further and, and further, the, the repentance going further and further in back of his mind, but now it comes to an end, and immediately something happens. You wonder sometimes in things like this if, if there had been a major event in Nebuchadnezzar's life, maybe a major illness, or some kind of dramatic event that would have shaped him up a little bit, if this would have been differently, if this would have gone differently. But everything seemed to be going really well. And he's at the height of his power, and there's no sign on the horizon that anything could go bad at this point. And that's the diabolical part of the sin nature. We can convince ourselves that we'll know when it's time to repent. We'll see the wheels get a little looser, maybe say, okay, now it's time to straighten up. I'll know when this is serious enough to stop. But God, when he acts, can act immediately. And in the case of King Nebuchadnezzar, Acts when he's at the height of his power and at the height of his glory. And the voice says to you, it's spoken. The kingdom is gone. And you're going to be driven from among men and you're going to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time and, and that seven periods of time, that's uh, completion or fullness. Uh, so it, it's going to go until I'm done with it, basically, is what God is saying until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Then in verse 33, there's that word, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. There's this thing called lycanthropy. It comes from a couple of Greek words, lukos, which means wolf, and anthropos, which means man, lycanthropy, wolfman. This came along far before Hollywood had the wolfman. But this idea of a man who acts like an animal. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar is at. 
And it's a sad, sad sight. I mean, when you think about it, here's this great king and now he's in a field eating grass. And he's there for some time because his nails grow long and he looks horrible. So some time has passed. And, and when I think of this story and, and reflect on it, I don't have an answer for this, but I often wonder what were those people around him doing? I mean, there's people in the kingdom and, and how are they viewing this? Are they hiding him? Are they, what are they trying to do to to get this to look okay because Nebuchadnezzar's a mess and here he's affected his mind in ways that they probably had never seen before. But part of the vision was that it would end and it does end. And Nebuchadnezzar, this passage is in his voice in verse 34, at the end of the days I lifted my eyes and reason returned And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. We really don't know how long this lasted. Obviously, some time had passed. But when he comes to his senses, he does make a few confessions. In fact, there's four of them, two here and then two a little bit later. One of the confessions that he makes is the sovereignty of God. It's God who lives forever. His is the everlasting dominion. Going into this, it was Nebuchadnezzar who was looking at his own kingdom and saying, look what I've done. But now, at the end of this, he makes this confession, you know what, it's God's kingdom that's really the kingdom the everlasting kingdom from generation to generation. And another uh, confession that he makes here, all inhabitants of the earth in verse 35, accounted as nothing. And God does according to his will. Humans are creatures, basically is what he's saying, that are nothing when compared to God. Even the greatest of humans, nothing when compared to God. And man is in no position to accuse God of anything. And there's some symbolism in this that shouldn't be missed. Because of sin, he is cast down from this glory that he thought he had and turned into this animal for a time. And that's how sin is. When we sin, we are cast down from the glory for which we were created. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we sin, and often we sin seeking our own glory, it's counterproductive. We're actually less glorious. We're actually less of what we're supposed to be. And that should cause us to grieve our sin. And when tempted, it should cause us to remember that the glory, whatever that glory that we think we're seeking, is actually distorting our glory and making us less 
than what we are. As children of God. And Nebuchadnezzar continues, at the same time my reason returned to me in verse 36. And notice his language again. And what, what do you do with this verse? And for the glory of my kingdom. There's that language again. My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. We get this language from Nebuchadnezzar again. And so what do we make of this? And this would be a wonderful time if I could just stop talking and listen to ideas because I'd love to hear what do we make of Nebuchadnezzar right away using this language again. Well, I think there's something going on that's good because I think that Nebuchadnezzar isn't boasting in the way that he was boasting before. He hasn't turned into the same old Nebuchadnezzar again. I think that when you take this with verse 37, what Nebuchadnezzar is actually boasting in is the grace and mercy of God. He is boasting in the fact that God is so gracious and wonderful and glorious and merciful that he's restored Nebuchadnezzar to what he was. It's all the grace of God. Earlier this week, I, was, uh, I have a book of Puritan prayers, and I love going through them. Uh, I try to go through one a mor every morning. And uh, there was one prayer that really caught my attention this past week, and it reminded me, actually, of Nebuchadnezzar here. But part of the prayer is this. If ever I am saved, it will be by thy goodness undeserved and astonishing, not by mercy alone, but by abundant mercy, not by grace but by exceeding riches of grace. And I think we have felt that before. I didn't get saved just by mercy, but by abundant mercy and exceeding riches of grace. And I think that's what Nebuchadnezzar's feeling, the abundance of God's grace. And he makes this third confession then about the righteousness of God. All his works are right and his ways are just in verse 37. God deals appropriately with sin, to sin, and he is just in how he deals with sin. And this is actually a great encouragement to us because when we look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and it's very famous, I think you'll all be able to say it just as I start, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's the, one of the beauties of that verse. Why does he forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? It's because Jesus paid the penalty for it. 
God laid on Jesus all of our sins when we confess, when we put our faith in Jesus. All of our sin is laid on Jesus and God is perfectly just and he's not going to punish that sin again. It's on Jesus and he died for it forever. And God is a just God and a righteous God. And so he's not going to turn around and say, you know what, I'm just going to get Bruce because I'm punitive about it and I'm going to punish him anyhow. He punished Jesus for it. And it's done. And he's just. And he's not going to punish me again for it. There's a beautiful truth in what Nebuchadnezzar is saying there. And fourthly, his confession is this. God humbles the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. He is able to humble even the most powerful of men. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. There's where our glory and exaltation lies. It lies in humbling ourselves before God. We'll let him do all the exalting as we exalt him. And then there's one, one last note here, because this has been a question that gets asked and does get asked a lot whenever we look at Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and everything that goes on. And, and I should mention, this is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. When you look ahead uh, to chapter 5, you're going to see that uh, we get a new leader. There's somebody else there. This is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and often the question is this, is Nebuchadnezzar saved? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven? And there are some who are very adamant and will say, yes, he is. He's got to be in heaven. I'm sure he is. There are others who say, maybe. I don't know. Uh, he said some of these things before and then went bad on us. So I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, some are a lot more hesitant, saying, ah, I don't think so. Uh, and I think that's just their way of saying, you know what, I'd have given up on Nebuchadnezzar long ago. Uh, but this is God we're talking about. Is he in heaven? Was he saved? Well, I can't answer that question, but I can say this. At the very, very least, his story ends here on a really good note, on a good note of praise. And I like that it ends this way. Because it reminds me of a few things. It reminds me that I'm not saved just because of grace and mercy. But I'm saved because of abundant mercy and an exceeding riches of grace. And I like that reminder because sometimes my sin especially my frequent sin, can seem pretty dreadful and can drag me down. But then I remember, we have a God 
of abundant mercy. And he's already forgiven me. It also reminds me of this, that true glory, my true glory, and your true glory is when we're glorifying God. We can sin and seek our own self-glory, but that only distorts, that makes us less than we are as children of God. But when we're glorifying God, that's when we're at our best, and that is true glory. And it also reminds me of this, that God can humble and save even the most boastful and stubborn of people. And I like that reminder because I have been praying for people, and I'm sure many of you have too, who seem to get on the right path, but their pride and their stubbornness leads them astray again. And this story of Nebuchadnezzar reminds me that God is patient. He's also very active, but he's a long-suffering God. And my praying for others, even, even when I don't see the glimpses of their salvation, my praying for them is never in vain because God is always working and he can break through any, any hardened heart. And so we continue to pray for others in hope. And we continue to speak his truth and glorify him. We do so because he deserves all glory. And in doing so, we become what we're supposed to be. His children glorifying him. His children saved by abundant mercy and exceeding grace. And we live with that truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your abundant mercy, your exceeding riches of grace. We thank you for your patience with us. We know we're sinners, Lord, and we confess those sins to you. We thank you that Christ paid the penalty for all of our sins and they won't be punished again. We can live in your love as your children, glorifying you, leaving you to exalt who you will, when you will, and how you will, Lord. We are your humble servants and your loving children, and we thank you for that. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And then I'll have you stand. Uh, we'll turn to hymn 585 and sing verses 1, 4, and 5. <laughs>